welcome to Season 2 of Breaking Free. I'm Rania Kurdi, a confidence life coach, comedian and mother of two. I invite you to join me bi-weekly for confidence tips and interesting chats with my guests who work in fields that help develop confidence. And sometimes with people who have a personal story to share of how they were able to break free from fears that held them back from living their life with confidence and purpose. In today's episode, I will be talking to sex educator Zina Malas about how feeling comfortable with your body and your sexuality is one of the factors that can contribute towards feeling more confident in many other areas of your life. It's never too late to learn how to love ourselves more and we can teach our children to do the same and develop body autonomy from a young age. Hi Zina. Can you just tell us a little bit about why you decided to become a sex educator when the region and society and the culture that you live in in the Arab world are not accepting um, any topics really to be discussed about sex? It's still considered taboo. It definitely is still considered taboo. Definitely. Um, But I feel that the narrative is changing. There are more conversations about um, how to educate children about their bodies. There are a few books coming out. Um, There are podcasts. There are a lot of Instagram accounts popping up uh, talking about sexuality, sexual health. It's slowly changing, but it definitely is still a taboo subject. Um, I started out my career in media, very different (laughs) background. But then when I became a mom, I realized I was going to have these conversations with my children about their bodies. Kids ask a lot of questions. Why is this like this? And how does this happen? And and I just wanted to better prepare myself on how to have these conversations with my children. And um, in turn, I realized that a lot of parents did not know how to have these conversations with their children. So I started certifying as a sexuality educator. And in my studies, I realized that I don't want to just limit myself to to parents and to children, but also that there are a lot of people out there who have uh, a lot of issues when it comes to sexual shame. On They don't even know the basics about their anatomy. Um, some people want to prepare themselves before marriage. Uh, some people don't even know the basics about menstruation, for example, or how to have conversations with their children about puberty or because of the changing world that we live in and because of the media and everything there's you know we need to talk to our children for example about pornography kids are exposed to so many things out there online and you know just a basic search of the word sex and if you don't have the safe search on god knows what's going to pop up you know so you need to prepare yourself and you need to prepare your children and you need to have these awkward conversations Um, i don't consider them awkward at all i think they're very necessary but uh, definitely this this was my main reason for wanting to do this. It was for my children. And then I realized that, no, I could actually help people have these conversations and prepare them. I want to talk to you today about how being more open about our sexuality, about accepting our our feelings and our needs help us feel more confident as women or as men. So how how would you explain Um, the difference of sort of letting go of that shame, letting go of these fears that we have about our bodies. And once we're comfortable with that, how it makes all the difference. Yeah, Rania, you know, when um, our sexuality plays a huge part in our lives, we shouldn't underestimate it. Sexuality doesn't just mean sex. It means our capacity for sexual feelings, 
our identity, how we express ourselves, who we are attracted to. Our sexuality has such an important relationship with our happiness and it contributes to our wellness and our life satisfaction. So our se sexual well-being also predicts our life satisfaction. Uh, so to deny or shame this part of our lives, it can cause a lot of distress to people, not only in our relationships with others, but also in our relationships with ourselves. The conversation needs to start when we're young. It can be as simple as using the correct terminology for our body parts. I mean, think about it. If we use the right words for all our body parts, uh, our ears, our, eye, our eyes, our mouth, our noses, but then when it comes to our private parts, we don't use the correct words. What is that saying? It's saying we're embarrassed to say the word penis or vulva, and that brings with it a sense of shame. So um, we need to teach our children as well about boundaries and consent. This is something that I cover a lot with, with uh, being a sexuality educator. Um, consent, our boundaries are very important because not only are we teaching them to respect and to know their bodies and what they want and what feels good, but we're also teaching them to respect other people's bodies. It teaches them compassion and it teaches us to check in on the other person. And in the long run, it teaches us to be considerate partners and, and teaches us to be vocal about what we like and what we don't like, what we accept and what we don't accept. And that in turn increases your confidence in your body and in your relationships. Asking for what you want isn't selfish, it's communication. There's also a sense that I don't know, maybe for me in the Middle East, I feel this a lot more, but I don't, I'm sure it exists in other communities, but I feel like sometimes our bodies don't belong to us. Our bodies are not just ours. They belong to our families, our parents, our husbands, our wives, our, our communities even. But if we teach body, body autonomy at a young age, the sense of self-governance, feeling, behaving, thinking independently as adolescents, we will have more of an understanding of the world around us. And we can be confident in our abilities because we know what we want. It's never too late to learn to love yourself, even after years of shaming yourself or being ashamed uh, or feeling guilty. It's not too late. You can talk to someone, be it a life coach, a therapist, a sexuality educator. You should do one thing, for example, every day that you love. Even if it's just look in the mirror once a day, say five things that you love about yourself, about your body. I know the tendency I've seen is that people will look in the mirror and suddenly focus on something bad. Oh my God, I hate my hair today. Or wow, my skin looks really, really bad in this lighting. The tendency is to speak negatively first, but then when you train your brain to start talking positively to yourself, you'll notice a big difference in just your everyday interactions. Even with yourself, you'll start to feel better about yourself. So you just look in the mirror and you practice. Wow, I love my legs. They're so strong. They've carried me through a lot. You know, it's all about retraining your brain and how you talk to yourself. I think this, this will help a lot of people with feeling confident. And this is part of your sexuality because it has to do with your body. And Zina, I'd love if you could share how you've started talking very early on to your daughters about their bodies and boundaries and all of these things, but the school actually weren't okay with that. So I believe that sex education starts in the home first um, and then is supported through the community and through the schools. So I've started talking to my kids very early on. 
And um, they're very aware about consent, boundaries, uh, and as I've mentioned before, using the correct uh, anatomical names for your body parts. I use um, an open and shame-free approach, a very body positive approach. Um, you know, my, my kids are five and seven right now, and they know about consent, that they know that they have to ask for permission before they touch somebody's body. And they know that I have to ask for permission before I touch their bodies. So, you know, for example, if I'm helping my daughter in the shower or if I'm helping her getting dressed, I ask first, would you like me to help you? Are you okay with me shampooing your hair, for example? I know it sounds very, very, you know, generic and very standard, but also I'm teaching her that people do need to ask for permission to touch her. And she has the right to say no if she wants to. Yes, I mean, children sometimes don't even want their parents to do that. You know, I have to respect that my teenager now doesn't want me to do that. So I won't force it upon them to, to do something that makes them uncomfortable. So if she doesn't feel comfortable saying hello to somebody in a specific way, like to a family member by, you know, we have this pressure where we, we tell our kids, go, go say hello to somebody, give them a hug, give them a kiss. And it's like, you know, sometimes they're not comfortable doing that. So I'm teaching her how to be comfortable in her own body. And if she's not comfortable giving them a hug or a kiss, I want her to be comfortable to say yes or no. It's her body, you know, and this gives her more body autonomy. So as part of the education that I've been giving uh, my children, um, my daughter is going through precocious puberty. So that means she is, um, she's going to start her periods early. And this has been, been, you know, we went through some medical tests and, and the doctors have told us that this is a, a likelihood of what's going to happen to her pretty soon, actually. Um, so the school, so what happened was I told my daughter about periods. I gave her all the information that she needs to know about why she gets her period, what's going to happen to her body, what changes will happen. Um, and so I provided her with a book as well. And unbeknownst to me, she took this book to school and was reading it during her break time. And the school saw her reading this book, a teacher saw her reading this book and confiscated the book. And I had a phone call from the school the next day asking me if I was aware that my daughter had this book. And I said, oh yeah, absolutely. I know she has this book. I gave it to her. And they were just a bit shocked because they felt that the information in the book was a bit too informative. And I didn't see that there was a problem, in fact, the more information, the better, obviously, again, age appropriate content. Um, and they said, well, you know, we think that this is too much information for a seven-year-old or for an eight-year-old and that the school handles these matters on a case-by-case -case basis. And usually these conversations are reserved till fifth grade. And to be honest, I was a bit shocked because I think fifth grade is a bit late. Um, there are some girls who start their periods in fourth grade and some even in third grade. Yes, very few, but it does happen. So I would rather my child knows the information before it happens rather than after and she's confused and lost and doesn't know and she's scared about what's happening to her body. Uh, at least now she has the knowledge and knows what's going to happen to her body. And that's when I think the teacher wanted me to be aware of the fact that the book told her uh, are you aware of the book telling your daughter to grab a mirror and take a look at her vagina? And I said, I think every woman should take a look at her vulva. Uh, the correct word is vulva, not vagina, because the vagina just refers to the opening, whereas the vulva is 
everything you see on the outside, the labia majora, the labia minora, the clitoris, it includes everything. Um, so, so I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm aware that it tells her to take a look at her vulva. She's, unless there's something shameful about her body that she shouldn't be looking in the mirror. I, I didn't understand the question. Uh, it's this internalized shame that we have as women, I think that we shouldn't tell children to look at their private parts, whereas it's okay for them. So it's their bodies. Let them look at their private parts. Let them get to know their bodies. Let them see how things look. You know, children are curious by nature. So why, you know, if it's done in the correct setting, in the privacy of their own room, and there's nobody else around, then why not? You, uh, otherwise, you're teaching your children that their bodies are shameful. And my daughter's body is not shameful. Well, like you said, Zina, the shame um, passes down from generation to generation. So I'm sure these teachers and these mothers were never taught and I'm sure you included me included to do something like that and to be okay about exploring our own bodies so immediately that kind of shame and programming comes up for for people when they're faced with something they're not used to yes Rania, definitely I mean sexual shame is or just shame about our bodies has been passed on from generation to generation um sexual shame is a feeling it's not a fact you know, uh, shame wants us to believe that we're broken, that our desires are gross or dirty or perverted. And shame makes us believe that pleasure is wrong. It makes us feel bad for feeling good. So, I mean, it makes us get out of our bodies and into our heads. And this is where shame lives. It lives in our minds. So sexual shame can feel real. Uh, it can feel permanent. It can feel like the truth. But it's not. It's not a fact. Sexual shame or shame is a feeling. We can inherit shame. That's how I said it's passed on from one generation to the next. And we can carry it around like a backpack, you know. Um, how you can start changing your sexual shame and your story is to just drop the heavy load, you know. So, so name shame for what it is and how it shows up, just like you can name and recognize other emotions. So, you know, how like you recognize that you're angry, for example. So you say, I'm angry. I'm angry because A, B, C, D. So I feel shame because A, B, C, D. So, and then notice how shame shows up for you. Do you feel it in your gut? Does it just give you a general icky feeling? You know, do you feel it in your chest? And then put shame in its place. Rather than acting on your shame by retreating, you know, you isolate, sometimes you hide yourself. You just, you feel embarrassed. You beat yourself up about it. Name the shame and then use a coping skill. So for example, go for a walk, do a breathing exercise, call a friend, talk it out. So you know, you're not alone. Reframe the shame, um, create a new script about it. You know, this is a feeling of shame, but I'm not shame. I deserve pleasure. I am worthy of pleasure. I am whole. I am a good person. You know, being sexual or, or expressing my sexuality is a part of life. I also feel that little girls are praised a lot for being caring and rescuing and, you know, taking care of others. Or that women's duty is to please others rather than have pleasure themselves. I think that could come from a lot of... Um, insecurity sexually as well where there isn't as much confidence it's more about performing pleasing 
than it is knowing your own body and accepting pleasure being given to you. As women, we are raised to to perform a role of caretaker. It's it's expected of us that we are supposed to take care of our families. Uh, God forbid if our parents get sick, the responsibility usually falls on the shoulders of the daughter. Um, and so we we are dutiful, good girls who take care of our families and we come last in every aspect. It's not, I, I don't think our parents or our families do it on purpose but there's an expectation for sure. And this plays a huge role in, in asking for what we want. We can't be very vocal about what we want because then we come across as bossy. When a young girl says what she wants or says no, she's seen as bossy. But when a man does it, he's assertive. So we need to change this narrative. Um, we need to stop constantly expecting and seeing women as just caretakers. So how would you recommend parents open up the subject of sex with their kids? Because sometimes the kids are uncomfortable with that as well. You know, even if the parents were willing, the kids aren't or the teens aren't. Um, it might be an uncomfortable topic for them. But in order for them to have a healthy, pleasurable sexual life and marriages and partnerships... Where do we start, Zina? What do we start exploring and talking to them about and when? I know there's a lot of hesitation from parents about talking to their children about sex and sexuality. They think it's awkward. Some parents even think it might lead to early sexual behavior, which is not true, by the way. It actually um, delays the first time that uh, they have sex and it helps them make more informed decisions if you have open conversations with them. When you have conversations about sex and sexuality, it doesn't mean that you're telling them to go and have sex. It just means that you are leaving the lines of communication open and the door is open for them to come and ask you any question. I think parents need to start young. Like I said, everything is age appropriate. You know, from zero to four, you label the body parts. From four to eight, for example, the conversation focuses on where do babies come from? Um, 8 to 12, you get more into like the detailed discussions of where babies come from. Uh, but as parents, I think you, you model the behavior that you want to see in your children. You do it every day with the way you talk to them, with um, the behavior you show them. So every day when, when your kids watch, you navigate your body, your relationships, your values, your pleasure, your boundaries your kids will model this behavior. Uh, a lot of parents are scared that, you know, they waited, they wait so long to have these discussions with their kids. It's never too late. You've already, you've already modeled the behavior onto them, you know? And, and I'd like to think, I'd like to start the conversation a bit earlier than most parents, because I find that kids are more receptive and will listen to you more the younger they are. You know, once you get into this awkward age of like 11, 12, 13, they think they know better than you. They think they know more than you. They don't want to really listen to you. So, so the earlier, the better. And, and honestly, ask them what they know. If you don't know how to have the conversations with them, ask them what they know. Asking questions is a great conversation starter. So, you know, for example, I'll ask my 13-year-old my if I say, what have you heard about so-and-so? Or what do you think about so-and-so? And then I hear what their thoughts are. 
And if I want to, to tell them what my values are, what my beliefs are, if religion is important to me in this conversation, then I will bring it in, but I will bring it in, in, in a shame-free way, not from a, a, a sin focused, you know, like, no, this is a sin. If you do this, it is a sin. You know, this is just only going to have a negative reaction. And like I said, you don't have to have one formal conversation. It's a series of conversations over time. When I, I teach my clients to, to listen to their children, to talk to them, to be proactive, not to be reactive. We don't want a bad reaction. So I tell them, don't panic. Think about what you needed when you were a child. Think about the conversations you wish someone had with you when you were a child. Yeah, and you can always say, you know, mm, I, I'll, I'm going to think about that and... and just give me a while and then we can discuss it maybe after dinner or tomorrow when we're going to wherever and it gives you a chance to kind of figure out and get your head straight of right what do I want to tell them and how when I have these conversations with my children I like to keep it fun and interactive I use apps I use pop-up books I use animated videos it, it's okay to laugh when it feels awkward it's fine these conversations are not always going to go smoothly and some of them are gonna they're gonna have some some awkward questions and that's okay. So what I like to do is I like to, I take a step back sometimes. I figure out what values I'd like to pass on to my children. What are the beliefs I'd like to pass on to them? You know, uh, what messages am I sending to them? You know, uh, otherwise, if I just pass on what's been taught to me, to my daughters, I'm just passing generational thoughts and ideas that I don't necessarily agree with and that I've never questioned. So I don't want to copy paste everything that was taught to me. I want my daughters to be able to think for themselves and question why things are the way they are. And, and to ask me any question, the door is always open. The communication is always open with my children. And I'd rather that they seek the information from me yeah. rather than find it online. Um, and, they're and they're not the most loving images. They're not necessarily of like relationships and love uh, where sex involved. It's you know, the hardcore stuff that is, I think, going to affect girls and boys equally in a very negative way for them to think that they need to be this, they need to perform, they need to look like what they're seeing males and females are like, you know, in porn. And I think that's worse that the beginning of their experiences are them already acting and lying and performing and not actually just feeling that it can be in a loving, safe environment. And a lot of it is exaggerated. You know, um, they don't even cover consent. You never hear anyone in, in a pornographic movie asking, is this okay? Are you okay? Are you satisfied? They, there's no discussion of it. Uh, a lot of men and women um, have very skewed uh, ideas of what the other person's body looks like, you know, because of pornography. Uh, we expect women to have over the top breasts, you know, huge breasts and big butts and inflated lips. And, and is this the message that we want to send to women and to men that this is what people are supposed to look like naked? These are all airbrushed and cosmetically enhanced. And so porn does send very mixed messages to people. Uh, a lot of it is very violent towards women. A lot of it doesn't discuss female pleasure, like I said. And if pornography is used as a substitute for sex education, oh boy, we have a huge problem. 
pornography should not take the place of sex education. You should not give porn the power or the authority over teaching people that this is what healthy sex lives look like. You know, there's also lack of knowledge for for males um, growing up about how it's okay for them to not be the typical male and the female be the typical female. It's okay to have emotions and express your feelings. Um, and, and this is what's going to help people have better relationships, better partnerships as well. If we're expecting them to play these roles where you are, you're only allowed to do this as a female and you're only allowed to be like this as a male, there's just no vulnerability, there's no transparency, there's no partnership really. Yes, definitely. The media sends very mixed messages on, on specific gender roles, the roles that people are supposed to play. And sometimes if men don't feel that they're fitting in a, st in a stereotypical role where he's the alpha and he's dominant and he's aggressive and everything, then there's something wrong with him. And if the woman is not, you know, um, looks like a Barbie, for example, and isn't super duper nurturing, for example, then there's something wrong with her. Definitely. I think we need to focus on them enjoying life fully in those areas as well. Thank you so much, Zina, all the points that you brought up. Carry on doing this wonderful work. We need it throughout the world, and especially in areas that still see sex as taboo. Thank you so much, Rania, for having me on today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Breaking Free, please share it with your friends or on your social media platforms. And of course, I'd really love it if you can subscribe, rate or review the show. You can reach me directly at raniacurdy.com if you would like to ask a question, comment on what you heard today or find out how I can support you on your journey.